Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Body Rappers, Angela Luzio is delighted to sponsor this episode of Conversations on Dance. Body Rappers, Angela Luzio is known for its fine, total stretch tights and Angela Luzio shoes. Tyler Peck, principal dancer with New York City Ballet, is its spokesperson and designer of Tyler Peck Designs for Premiere. Tyler's beautiful, original designs fit perfectly, move well with the body, won't ride up in the back, and are ideal for class, rehearsal, and performance. Body Rappers makes additional apparel for all disciplines and significant to dance teachers this time of year. Body Rappers performance wear remix for competition and recital, consisting of various components that can be mixed and matched to create a unique costume you won't see anywhere else, like the one featured in Body Rappers' ad. You may view all the products at bodywrappers.com or to purchase Body Rappers performance wear remix items, go to your favorite local dance retailer shop or online store. To view and buy the entire collection of Tyler Peck designs, go to dancewearcorner.com. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have to say that after we did our last episode, just you and I talking about retirement, we got some really awesome feedback from people who wrote in to us and told them that they really enjoyed the episode and asked us some questions and gave us some more topics to talk about. So we're going to give the people what they want. (laughs) We're here to please. More of us. (laughs) No, we love we love our wonderful guests, but sometimes it is fun to just have the two of us. Yeah, gathering. kind of gives us some time to just you know talk about whatever is going on. So, what's going on with you, Michael? What's new? Um, I'm just I've been teaching a lot and going to the the ballet a lot. Or it's not well, I wouldn't say it's all been ballet. I've been seeing a lot of modern dance, kind of getting out of the ballet bubble rather. Um, I went to see Juilliard dance last Saturday and they did a program that was Cunningham, Pike and, um, Tharp. And I just thought they were incredible. That's awesome. They, they can move in a way that my body can't comprehend. 
<laughs> in a way you envy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looks like it, it It must be really satisfying to feel. I mean, it's the kind of thing <laughs> like that. the one time when we were talking about drinking polyjuice potion to inhabit others' bodies, yeah. to, what that feels like. I could, I could have, uh, had some polyjuice potion and been in, there was one boy in particular who in the Tharp piece, which was Deuce Coop, uh, so it's Beach Boys music. Mm-hmm. And I just thought he was, he was so confident and had such a wonderful movement quality and, uh, charm. And I was like, I could definitely polyjuice my way into his body. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought that whenever we would do twarps, uh, twarp stuff. <laughs> Twyla Tharp stuff that um, I was always like when you would watch the videos of people, I'm like, wow, that looks like that feels so fantastic in their bodies. It would not feel good in mine, but in theirs. And then I like wondered what it's like to have that deep plie and be like really grounded and a feeling I'll never know. <laughs> That's that. Uh, I mean, this is total inside j- jokery now, but Rebecca, anytime Rebecca brings up a plie, it brings a smile to my face because I envision Rebecca's plie immediately after surgery, <laughs> which was non-existent. So. It's starting to improve a little bit now. I'm getting like this glide back that I need. I'll show you next week when I see you. It's, it's starting to glide a little bit more. But so we, what else? What Should we take a class together next week? We could maybe. Is there a Sunday afternoon class? There's, yeah, early, early at 1230. It's, it's, uh, Sunday's a good day to go because... Oh. People aren't usually around, so you don't want to embarrass yourself. I haven't taken class in weeks at this point because I um, have been teaching so much, which is great, and I'm having a great time doing it. Um, but, you know, I would like to do a little bit of ballet. Yeah, that would be really fun. You know what I was thinking, Michael? I keep meaning to text you about this, that um, we're going to get to real topics in a second. Right now, we're just catching up. <laughs> <laughs> But we're going to San Francisco to work with San Francisco Ballet, um, April 20th through 25th. And the other day I was thinking about, it, I was like, are they, would they let us take class? And then I like panicked a little, like that would be really both really fun. And like, can I stand in the back and no one's allowed to look at me? <laughs> right. I don't think I'm emotionally ready for that. Not emotionally that. ready. I know. Yeah, we have to have moved on. Like, re- well, I went to read. Bartleby and Harriet Jones show at Guggenheim. And we talked to them happened. about it on the podcast. Yes, exactly. And I was lucky enough to get to see it. It was a wonderful show. Um, I wish you had been able to go. I know. Um, I'm so sad. But I love Reed. Reed mentioned in the show that he just takes company class wherever he goes, wherever he's working, you know, whatever company has commissioned work awesome. from. And he just like, he doesn't care anymore at this point about, uh, you know, He's not in his head at all, so I'm I'm envious of that. I would still I'm still too close to having been a dancer to right uh, just like go in for fun. I would still be like, would they take me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do we just like make this an audition real fast? Yeah, <laughs> they'd say no yeah. to me. <laughs> I've been going to the gym a lot too. Great. Oh, this, um, uh, a secret to share with people. Well, I guess. This is ex-dancers who hate the gym like me. But uh, what what you can do is if you need to get on a bike or run or whatever for some cardio, put on ballet music, music from ballets you previously danced, and then do them in your head and like accelerate at any point that you're doing heavy dancing. 
That's awesome. So finale step, just really Push. banging it out. Exactly. That's awesome. That's how I get through my gym life now that I can't really do ballets. I pretend that I'm doing them. There you go. So I went to an Orange Theory class yesterday for the first time. What is What's that? that? <laughs> it's um, I know it's it's like a boot camp thing. It's like remember that Barry's boot camp on Purdy Ave in Miami Beach, like yeah. that place where people just like crazy culty workout thing. It's like that, and so you do um, it, they have all the equipment in there, so they have like rowers and bikes and treadmills, and you do different um, like back and forths with it. So you'll do. A certain amount of distance on the bike or the treadmill and of course I did the bike because can't run and <laughs> then you go on the rower for a certain distance and you just keep going back and forth for like half an hour and then they have you do like weight training stuff it was pretty fun I have to say because like I won't just go to the gym and be on the bike I get so bored right it's like terrible but it was a pretty interesting experience I'll let you know it's a little weird <laughs> it's a weird place so maybe we should talk about something that's actually uh relevant yeah <laughs> to this podcast <laughs> all right guys have it maybe we should or like do we want to just talk about what we ate for breakfast or something i mean this well, is really real yeah we're getting boring, a little more intimate so let's yeah let's let's keep it relevant um <clears throat> today we're going to discuss some things that have been sort of cycling through the news um regarding ballet and one of those um news events if you will is uh, Misty Copeland taking down an online troll, someone who had posted a video of her falling out of her fuetes in Swan Lake, uh, you know, obviously trying to uh, get at her with that. But rather than reporting this person, she wrote a really uh, beautiful response about how, you know, ballet is, it's all about the growth process and she's not ashamed of, anything in that video that's all part of um, her moving towards being the best artist she could be. And I thought that was a really dignified way of dealing with <clears throat> something so ugly. Absolutely. So in case you guys missed it, here's the uh, tweet that came out. Um, this is why Misty Copeland is the worst in all capitals and why it's an embarrassment to American ballet theater to have her on the roster, much less a principal dancer. No wonder the rest of the world thinks American ballet is a joke, which first of all, <laughs> can you be any more dramatic? It's just like, come on. And it's just really about her fuetes. So here are just a few um, snippets of kind of what she responded. I really like this particular section this was on her instagram a ballerina's career is not nor should be defined by how many fuetes she executes they are a part of the choreography and tell a story of pulling off the entrancement she holds over prince siegfried the point is to finish the third act with a whirlwind movement that sucks him in just one last time before it's revealed that she's odile and not odette i mean i love that um moment because there I do so often think of that kind of as a trickster moment you know I never think like oh if you fall out of it you're a failure <laughs> like that's ridiculous but I you know it does seem to me like a moment in classical ballet where it's exhibitionist you know but you know it's just it's one of those things that for some reason uh it's crept into our consciousness that uh that's just how it is. That's how it's always been. And that's the tradition. Right. And if you can't do that, that's absolutely not true. People, I mean, I think that Makarva either didn't do the 32 Fuetes 
or was famously bad at them. Um, and that's Makarova. So one of the most important, influential ballerinas of the 20th century, who certainly did her fair share of Swan Lakes. Yeah. Um, just, you know, I apparently botching the most important thing in the ballet, but obviously that's not how people felt about it then. And so for us to, um, to have this idea now that, Oh, this is the real way. It's all silly. And, you know, I, I love, so Alistair Macaulay, the chief dance critic at the New York times, who has been on the podcast n- numerous times. Um, he kind of was taking on Hal Correa to task for, saying that his Swan Lake, which I saw in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania Valley, two weekends ago, um, on hell was reporting that it was, you know, the, the purest version of Swan Lake. <clears throat> and then Alistair kind of points out, well, no, this actually came in in the 60s, 1960s. And then this was from then. And this is from, uh, you know, this other staging. So to, you know, our idea that this is the original way is generally false. Right. Yeah, that's a great point to add too. It's just, it's, I don't, I mean, you're, for you and I, you know, obviously we don't care about the Fuetes because that's just not where our personal taste lies. If you can do something interesting in, within the course of that kind of, you know, that ballet has been beaten, like, you know, it's like beaten into the ground how many companies have done it over and over. So, for us, it can be pretty dull to go see it. And if anyone can right. do something fresh with their interpretation, that's a lot more interesting to me than seeing someone execute 32 perfect fuetes. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's the point of it, too, is that, you know, and now I'm trying to look up this woman's looks like she's maybe deleted her Twitter account because I wanted to find out if she was a dancer or what looks like it's gone. Um, so I don't know where she's coming from in terms of her knowledge of any of this or how difficult it can be but you know it's so deleted her account because there must have been some brutal clapbacks from her oh yeah i can't imagine i mean that's one thing twitter is actually good for is people people can really come back with some truly hysterical witty things yeah absolutely we just need to get like some of the contestants on rupaul's drag race to like come back at her <laughs> they probably did i wouldn't be shocked this went so viral i mean it was everywhere l magazine wrote an article about it too they did wow yeah it was all over the place um but there are you know my question to her would be would you rather watch a dancer just do an th- entire ballet a full-length ballet and execute everything perfectly nail those fuetes with like no artistry nothing interesting like that to me is so boring those fuetes are a small fa- faction when you think about how much the Odette Odile character dances within that ballet I mean it's such a vast amount of choreography and that's just one little segment of it and I think the other point that's really important to to bring in here is a psychological aspect of it and what happens when you get on stage and you have a name like Misty Copeland and everyone expects you to do really well or even if you don't have a name at all and you're just expecting the most from yourself and you're in a moment when you're on stage with thousands of people watching you and it's a moment that you've put all this focus into maybe you're panicked about it and sometimes your mind can just take over and it just doesn't happen. And I think that's really important, too. We've talked about that um, a little bit about 
the psychological aspect of performing. And I think that that's not to be ruled out as well as just like a thought process. Everybody has a day. You don't know what was going through her mind at that moment. And I'm sure she has done like she can do that. She's done it before. She's a very talented dancer. And like we were talking about before we started recording, we watched the video of what she did. Um, and it's beautiful. She did a beautiful variation on the traditional fuetes. I I think it's interesting that, uh, or it must be, you know, Odette is on a much bigger scale than, Odette O'Deal's on a bigger scale than anything you or I ever did. <laughs> but... <laughs> We could just as easily like pick out the moments that we were nervous about and then magnify them a mm-hmm. hundred times over. Yeah. Like, oh, there's that one scary turn at this point. And if I don't hit that check of that turn, then the whole performance crumbles. I mean, there's even been moments not even thinking about ourselves in a way like where we've seen a, you know, a principal dancer and we're, you know, on the side and a core part and we know that they have a difficult time with a certain part because it hasn't been going well in rehearsals and like I know that I stand on the side of the stage like (gasps) like I'm just like holding my breath and I'm like tense for them you know like I want it to go well for them so who knows like maybe it hadn't been working in rehearsal that week or whatever and it's you know that plays a huge part in it too and sometimes people have the crazy ability to like thrive under that pressure and just like Uh. bang it out I don't understand those people I don't either. And I'm envious. And totally. can I, I, we can always come back to Misty because I think there's more yeah, to delve into totally. here. But that m- makes me think that this is a good segue mm-hmm. into another moment in the news that's happening, which is uh, Avihai Cher has written an article for uh, Huffington Post. It's called The Me Too Moment is Valley's Chance for a Turning Point. And um, it kind of just brings up uh, different uh, dancers' experiences at New York City Ballet and the Pennsylvania Ballet under Roy Kaiser's direction and about um, some of the ways they were treated by staff and administration. And when you you brought up uh, the idea of people who just thrive under that pressure, mm-hmm. that was seemed to be the company that Peter Martins wanted. Mm-hmm. He wanted a dancer of all people, uh, a company of all dancers like that. Right. Uh, and those dancers are beautiful. Like that is something I love that Sarah Murns, for instance, is um, an insane person like that, that, you know, she can debut an Odette O'Deal at 19 uh, with limited rehearsal, get a stomach flu the day before, and then do the performance on Reese's Pieces. Right. Like, that's amazing, and but that's uniquely her. Right. Whereas other people need to be nurtured, and I don't think that that, that's, that makes them less interesting or less valuable. But one of the quotes in the article um, that Peter said to a dancer was, uh, he said he, he told this dancer that he'd been testing her to see if she would sink or swim, that he did that with all dancers who show great promise, and he told her, you sunk. And this, <sighs> is, this is what he said to her, when she was coming in to say after seven years of multiple cycles of unhealthy weight fluctuation and injury, she was leaving. So that was the final note. Just, uh, you sunk, you know, I try, I was testing you and you sunk, but I just, I don't know. I wish that ballet and I hope that we're moving away from this, that, you know, that that sort of mentality 
deprives our world of a lot of really special talent mm-hmm. or they have to rethink their own um, situations, you know, and move, move to a company that functions differently. Right. Because who's not to say that there's a dancer just needing a little bit of nurturing at the beginning of their career, um, kind of some extra pushes, some extra love, some extra attention who could become that fearless dancer like Sarah Mearns, but needs to be, I mean, so we have, I, I mean, I would equate our in Miami city ballet, Natalia Arja is like so similarly fearless and I don't understand it at all. I think it's great that she can do that, but it's been something since we've watched her, you know, throughout her whole career that was just always there initially. She always was like that as a student, she would come into company rehearsals and just be like very confident and just fine. But that's the minority, the vast minority. So it's just if that there was a little bit of nurturing there at the beginning to, you know, kind of acclimate dancers to company life and understanding what it's going to be, what the performances are like. Cause then there's also that like second fear phase. I feel like as a professional dancer, where as you're younger, sometimes it's not as scary. And then once you like start realizing what's at stake a little bit more, it becomes like worse and you become more in your head. And I just think that these kind of, this kind of atmosphere of like, when I see you on stage, that's like the only time I decide as a director that the director, maybe that's the only time they decide what you're going to do next season or if you're going to get your job. It's like putting all of your work into one moment on stage is just very nerve wracking and can really force a lot of, you know, psychological failures on stage. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so nuts how in our head we can get. And if someone is there kind of (laughs) reinforcing that, that's not helpful. I, yeah. I, when I when I think of a dancer that you know I don't want to speak for it. I know she's spoken outwardly about this, but Caitlin Gilliland, who is now with Los Angeles Dance Project and has danced for Twyla Tharp and is thriving in those places, mm-hmm. she was someone who absolutely should have or could have been major in my opinion, on the level that Sarah Mearns is. Mm-hmm. She was a completely different dancer. Um, a lot of people said that she um, she looked like Maria Caligari, and they did have a, a, cert, like a similarly special magnetism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I would, I could watch Caitlin in anything. And thinking of all the wonderful ballets that I would have loved to have seen her illuminate in a long New York City ballet career, you know, that didn't happen because she didn't have the personality type to just be okay with like, wham, bam, do this, do that. You have five minutes to learn a ballet or you have, you know, we need you to be perfect in this immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that, that was, in my opinion, that's New York City Ballet's loss. Right. That they, they weren't able to nurture her in a way that would have kept her right and you brought up in that other quote um also the concept of weight and being told about um that dance you know dancers women men being told that they need to lose weight or for men sometimes that they need to bulk up and gain weight that can be so damaging especially at a young age 
Um, and it's, you know, something that came up a lot in the discussion about Peter Martin's at the beginning of, um, you know, the process that the company went through in the media. And that was one thing that when that came up made me so angry because yes, I'm, of course he did that. And, but other, all directors do that. And it's a conversation for the whole ballet world to have, I think about handling that. I just really think that any artistic staff that's going to have that conversation with a dancer, especially if they're young and don't feel like they can stand up for themselves or, you know, are just in a very vulnerable place that there needs to be some discussion about amongst the staff on, on their own, maybe with a mental health professional about the right ways to talk about it so that it's productive and healthy and not like you're going to lose your job because you're too fat. And, and one thing we've talked about a lot before is, you know, there's this tendency to be like, oh, you're fat. We're not putting you on stage. So you're not dancing. And then the dancer's not dancing and they're just getting fatter because they're just in rehearsals doing nothing all day. Yeah. I mean, my, my first move as co-director would always be if someone was having a body issue rather than even, you know, I mean, unless there seems to be some sort of emotional connection that you need to to make with your dancer at that moment. If it's just someone who's merely, you know, a little out of shape for whatever reason, just put them in everything. Mm-hmm. Just make them dance all day long. Yeah. That, I mean, that's just good for you in every way imaginable. Yeah. Especially when you're talking about core dancers, like, yeah. Um, so that just, I don't know why that wouldn't be the first, uh, play any director would make. It's well, the easiest to do. I think more often, maybe not more often than not, maybe that's not fair to say, but I think often it's used as a, an excuse. Like, oh, you're fat and that's why we don't like you. And it's like, no, you can just say like, like and Mean Girls, you're not fat because we hate you. Wait, no, it's the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> we don't hate you because you're fat. You're fat because we, we hate you. you. That's exactly Terrible. what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that can just have such an effect on your life. I mean, I feel like... <laughs> One of my moves as an artistic director (laughs) would be to just have a nutritionist that comes in maybe once a month that does like a seminar with the dancers and everyone has to go just like on a Friday afternoon when no one wants to dance anyway. Just because everybody can benefit from from hearing more about stuff like that. I always wish that we had had that, you know, just even just like easy things to pack for lunch because we're busy, we're tired, we don't want to be doing stuff like that. As a dancer, you're so busy. And then you get home at night, and you don't have any dinner made. And then you know, you're just going into unhealthy habits when you know, someone can help you just be like, Oh, if you have this or x, y, and z, that can make it your day healthier. And it's about fueling your body. That's what is the most important thing. It's not about, you know, how many calories you have, it's having productive calories that keep you dancing, keep you healthy. And that's the other thing too, is it benefits the company in the long run because then it's also injury prevention as well. It helps keep everybody right. healthier. In the the same article um, that we were talking, the Avi High Share article in HuffPo, um, Lauren Bailey talks about how she broke her foot at a young age um, because she wasn't eating. So yeah, we had her on the podcast to talk about that and it was... She had such an interesting um, trajectory because she joined New York City Ballet at a young age. Like you said, broke her foot, 
really had some weight troubles and just some psychological issues and decided to stop. What was she like? Maybe 20 or no, no, no. Only like 19, I think. Yeah. And Um, went to college. And I'm so thankful that she continued to dance because talk about a beautiful dancer and beautiful artist that we would have, that the ballet world would have missed out on if that had taken over. Of someone who couldn't keep up with, the you know do or die mentality that was perpetuated at New York City Valley at the time, um, and she was able to find greener pastures elsewhere. Uh, but there's one paragraph in this article where uh, that Lauren is um, interviewed in, and it says that while Thaley was injured, a ballet mistress casually stopped her in the hallway and chastised her for gaining weight. We can't put you on stage, she said. Fadley agreed and pointed to her boot, but the ballet mistress replied, no, it's your body. Fix this, but don't starve yourself like you did last time. Nice. I mean, <laughs> it's some of the things that happened in our, <laughs> you know, in our time as dancers yeah. are pretty crazy. That yeah. was, granted, that, that was more than 10 years ago, and I think that things had definitely moved in the right direction but there's a lot of acceptance of these kind of ridiculous things Mm -hmm. well and i think those sorts of pressures like even just saying something like that it it has the the reverse effect you know it's like well now i'm depressed now i'm mad well who cares and then you know i'm gonna eat all all this or you know whatever and then just like it forces you into a more unhealthy um, pattern. And I think a lot of that old guard was doing that because that's the way that they had been treated. Mm-hmm. But, you know, millennials, for as, as much flack as we get for, I don't know what, our laziness and, uh, you know, entitlement and all of that, I do think that it's a one of the better qualities of our generation is that we do, we question things like that. We, we say, why is this this way? And, you know, not merely accept it as what needs to be forever. Yeah. I mean, I had three fat talks in my career and I would absolutely never handle any of those situations. If I, if I was ever in a position of power where I had to have that conversation, I would absolutely never handle it that way three. because I know it's always something that's going to affect someone, even if it doesn't affect them in an outward way, like, they think maybe it didn't affect me, you know, but it did. Yeah. But you know what? We're leading the charge on this uh, against um, terrible fat talks. And, <laughs> against fat talks. And uh, being treated without any um, respect or dignity for what we do. And, you know, maybe it is maybe there is an element to it where these people in power don't under, don't really see how it can affect us because we keep it at home. We keep it with our friends, you know, and because as dancers, we're always tr- trying for more and more and more and working so hard that maybe it's not something that they see in the studios as affecting us. And they're like, Oh, they lost weight. We did it. Congrats to us. But they didn't see how unhealthy the process was or, you know, and I think- What's I left. think it also comes from the fact that the people, not that, um, well, this is not a fully formed thought. I think some of this comes from the fact that the people at the top are generally 
principals or were generally principals or solos with their respective companies Mm -hmm. and may in that case have had um, fewer obstacles. Obviously if you make, if you are promoted it, you know, it's not as black and white as that, but the likelihood that you were favored and given um, special favor over others um, is pretty great. So, and you probably weren't uh, fat because you made it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, exactly. Or at least people were willing to make exceptions for you in some way. So um, they don't know how to deal with that because they don't know what, what 75% of their company is going through. Yeah. If you, if you were a principal, you just can never understand what it was like to have spent your life in the core and the core people I think are the ones who end up taking the brunt of that um, sort of ridiculous uh, treatment. Yeah. I think it would just be so interesting to see a company choose a core dancer as their leader or I mean you even when you think about ballet mistresses and things like they're not just core members very very rarely right yeah I mean you have Rosemary Dunlevy at um, at New York City Ballet and she, there was, a few. she wasn't a soloist I thought she was no oh okay yeah. and she's okay I stand corrected but no, it's you're right I think most people it's oftentimes people who were higher ranked so right and i mean there is an element to that like where they did do the core roles and they also did some of the you know principal roles that they're setting and i understand um that there's that aspect as well um but you know there's also a lot of core members who have danced some lead roles um and i think a lot of this goes back to one specific um idea is that this one person controls your life uh, like we were talking about in our uh, last episode together is just that there's it's such a rare rarity in the world where one person controls your life like that I feel like in most fields you're at an office your boss doesn't like you you're like okay I'm gonna go to another workplace in the same city or down the road you know I don't have to uproot my whole life in order to find another job or even risk that I won't be able to find one. Um, Just generally, it's not the same in the way that we kind of get stuck because especially when you get older, I mean, there was always a, there's always a time when you're like in your late twenties, still a core member and you're like, I'm not going to go audition for another company. I mean, people have done it and great for them. I think it's awesome, but it's, you know, not something that's super feasible. So, then there's just one person that makes all the decisions in your life and how your life goes. And then after the fact, like we've talked about, then you're a core member. And when you're looking for work in the field, that affects your chances. But I think that it's great that these conversations are happening. And in in, in big platforms, you know, like the Huffington Post, that's hopefully people are reading that who aren't just ballet dancers, you know, like you know, maybe Point Magazine is just more um, featured, you know, something that's um, more that dancers are only reading. Hopefully this is something that the community, the audience is reading and can kind of help change the way that people in power think. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's good that we're finally having these conversations. 
but um, you know, so much more needs to be done. I agree. Well, thank you, Michael, for talking today. It was great to chat through some of these items and get back together, just the two of us. We would love to hear our listeners' opinions on these subjects as well, so feel free to contact us on social media with your thoughts. Yes, or give us, um, send us an email at info at conversationsondancepod.com. We always try to respond to everyone. We love hearing from you guys. And if you have any um, ideas of future topics, anything you want to hear us talk about, um, include that as well. We will be going to San Francisco, April 20th through 25th, where we will be covering the Unbound Festival um, at San Francisco Ballet. There are going to be 12 new works by 12 choreographers in something like 17 days, I think. So it's a huge um, undertaking that they're doing there. And we're really excited to be going and covering the festival and sharing so much of the insight with you guys. I think it's going to be really wonderful and insane. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited to feel the energy of that, uh, you know, going to the, the studios when I'm sure everyone's jockeying for more time and space and, you know, going over their, their parts in seven other ballets, you know, it's uh, I can't believe um, what the dancers must be going through. And also what those choreographers are, are thinking of having to share time like that. You know, typically you might, a, a premiere is a big deal. It's always a big deal to have new works, but mm-hmm. um, you know, certainly at Miami city ballet, we would always do sort of, you know, one big moment at a time. So to have 12 people oh uh, all creating is, it's wonderful. And I think there's going to be a fantastic energy to the whole festival. Yeah. I feel like, some of the best memories that we probably have from dancing is like a big premiere like that, a new work with a choreographer and like the first night and how is the audience going to respond? And we, you know, put so much work into it. So to have that 12 times over must is just going to be so fun for the dancers. A lot of work, a lot of work on all ends for sure. And so we hope that in between all that time, we'll get to, talk with some of the dancers. And so if any of you guys have any questions for any of your favorite dancers at San Francisco Ballet, definitely send those our way as well. Or any of the choreographers that will be present. Um, And hopefully we'll get a chance to sit down with all of your favorites. So send us those questions and we will get them to the artists you love. Thanks everyone for joining us this week. Thank you for joining us. Bye, Rebecca. Bye, Michael. Thank you for joining us this week. To make sure you don't miss a moment from San Francisco, follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to Conversations on Dance via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You won't want to miss this. Thank you for joining us today and we'll see you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.